The first essay that I read was called Prejudice Bones in My Body. And the first, and, and what it basically started off with is that a friend of mine who had faced a lot of racism, um, she, she had converted to Islam. I'd known her for some time. And it was like shortly after 9-11, we were having this conversation. And I was so distressed. I was saying how I was really, really, you know, upset about what was happening with a lot of the, uh, the Muslims, especially the immigrant Muslims, where they were being arrested and detained and charged with terrorism. I mean, it was happening to other people, but it was really, really, really happening to anyone who looked what, you know, like an Arab or something like that. And they were being harassed, a lot of hate crimes, and for anyone, quite frankly, who looked different. And I was talking about how it really, really was, was worrying me that, um, that this was really affecting a lot of my immigrant uh, Muslim brothers and sisters. And when I, after I said that, my friend said, good, now they'll know how it feels. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. And it, yeah, she was so like for her, she felt like it was vindication. Like we've been sitting here dealing with all this racism. You know, we've been, we've been trying to talk to them. They keep mistreating us. So finally, good, you know, Allah's making this happen to them so that they'll suffer and they'll know how it feels. I don't have a problem with it. Good, they need to suffer. Right. And and that was really, really surprising and hurtful to me, you know, to hear that. Right. And that, but as I talked about in the in the podcast itself is that but you know, I at the end I was saying when I was reflecting on this particular incident, I actually said to myself, you know what, I have to be very, very honest and say I do understand how she feels. It's not something I agree with. It's not something that I believe is right. I think that's something that if you have in your heart, you have to do jihad enough. Right. But, you know, it really, really hurt my heart. And, and, and years later, it was um, it, it inspired this essay also by being around a lot of Muslims who were non-black, mm -hmm. whether they were white Americans or British um, white British, uh, Pakistani, Indian, Arab, whatever, you know, and what people would keep saying was every time I brought up this issue, they would say, I don't have a prejudice bone in my body. I don't understand racism. I don't understand why this is going on. I don't have a prejudice bone in my body. And these were the, the quote unquote, what, what I would say, good Muslims who are, who are at least not giving themselves over to that. So, you know, obviously, but at the same time, by denying that they had any prejudice in them, by denying that they had any part of the problem, I was saying to myself, like, how are we, how are we gonna heal? Because as Muslims, one of the things we know and one of the things I find so profound and so beautiful about our faith is the self-honesty. Like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran about people who they'll they'll say like in in, in, this, in, in the beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah tells a story that's been translated to mean like these people are saying, you know, when, when they're told to stop all this mischief making on earth, you know, uh, they're, they're saying, oh, no, we're the ones, you know, doing making peace, you know. And Allah's like, they're making the mischief. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> they're making the mischief. But what does he say? He doesn't say that they're lying okay he's saying they they um they're making the mischief but uh like they don't even feel it like they don't even have within them any any feeling of it whatsoever you know they don't even feel that they're doing it so they continue 
And then you also have a lot talking about in the end of Surah Al-Kahf about the people who will lose the most. Those people who they think they're gathering all of this good, but they're the ones who are going to lose the most because they're denying the signs of Allah. And if we as Muslims continue these lies to ourselves, that we don't have any prejudice bones in our body, we don't have anything against anyone at all, you know, th th then how are we going to solve the problem? How are we going to solve the problem? Yeah. If you truly... <coughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm running my mouth. Go ahead. Excuse me. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. No, finish your thought. If you truly, and then I'll say No, something. I was saying, if, if, Yanni, if you truly, truly believe that you have absolutely no prejudice within you, nothing in your heart against any other human being on this earth, then you need to go and reacquaint yourself with the Quran and, and learn the lessons. And one of the things that I, I talk about in this particular part of the book, um, uh, Prejudice Bones in My Body, is how Ibrahim, Prophet Ibrahim salam, was praying for, uh, to Allah to protect him from shirk. And you'll find this over and over again, the righteous people scared for themselves. But we today, we just like, oh, I'm fine. I don't think like this. And you may not consciously think like this, but racism, prejudice, diseases of their heart, they don't afflict us because we decide, yeah, I want to be racist. Yeah, I want to be prejudiced. Yeah, I want to have a sickness in my heart. It's because we're not tending to the wounding and we're not tend being self-honest. That's what's happening. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. Um, I, I had a conversation earlier today that kind of um, just swayed my thinking a little bit in that it was a conversation with, you know, a person was a student of knowledge. Um, I was really discussing my c concerns with the, the disconnect between the scholars and the students of knowledge and the regular um, citizens and the regular people. And one of the things that he brought up um, was the disconnect in class and how a lot of the things that the, 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 uh, the regular people are feeling that the, uh, the students of knowledge are not feeling because there's a class disconnect that, that basically a lot of the people who are in a the scholarship, they have a high, they, they're almost like protecting an image and protecting the class that they've built. And a lot of that has to do, and it made me think about, you know, what the discussion regarding prejudice and racism, because, you know, as Muslims, we're always kind of chasing everybody to tell everybody from an image standpoint that we're the examples that we're the best, that we don't do any wrong and come to us. And we market ourselves as having this, you know, almost, you know, kind of perfect way of thinking and behavior when we become, you know, Muslim and, it made me think about how a lot of these things have become brushed under the rug because as soon as someone mentions something that sounds so horrible, such as racism and prejudice, it's hard for the ears of any Muslim, even Muslims who, who, who believe in their faith to think that a Muslim can go down that path and be that, and, and, and especially follow shaitan that way. And so a lot of times what they're doing is that, They've actually, and it's, it's, it's crazy because by not dealing with it, which is different when I look at how the Prophet Sallallahu dealt with things, um, by not dealing with it and just being like, okay, well, you know, we, maybe that's there, but, you know, we need to focus on um, <clears throat> these things that are good and these things that people are doing. Um, there's a lot of people who are, who are suffering and suffering silently because they don't have a voice. Um, as the people with with high with a higher class or status seek to protect the image 
of Islam. So it's almost like the image of Islam is clashing with the reality of the Muslims. Okay. Yeah. So I wrote about that before. I was saying that, um, you know, some people are more concerned with protecting the Muslim image than protecting the Muslims. Yeah. You know, and I wrote about that before. And while the Muslim image is important, this ideology has hurt so many souls because when you're focused more so on an image than, than helping the real believing souls, then what happens is that the people who are, um, who are suffering become collateral damage. Their souls become collateral damage. Cause like, for example, when I was going through a lot of things and I'm expressing what I'm going through, the only thing people could talk about was, oh, but it's not every scholar. Oh, it's not all this, you know? And I'm talking in private, yeah. okay? I'm not even, <laughs> you know, talking publicly, but what do we do? You know, I'm not saying it's everybody, but when someone is telling things about our religion, that's not true. When someone is actually teaching racism as a part of the deen, mm -hmm. this has to be dealt with. But instead of, instead of addressing the issue of racism that's happening, we run and go and protect personalities. And I talk about this too in my book, and I say how, like we have this issue of personalities over principles. Yeah. We have this issue of personalities over principles that we focus on so much. Right. And then the, instead of principles over personalities, and I call it like Muslim popularity contest. Right. Where the, there are only certain people who matter and then there are certain people who don't matter. And if you don't make the cut, then your problems are not addressed. And this is continuously the problem that we, we, we deal with things like, and then when we come up with a solution, it'll be like, oh, well, let's forbid this or let's, you know, basically change the religion because we, we identify this problem over here instead of just saying, let's deal with what's really, what's really going on, you know? And, and for me, I have witnessed so many Muslims leave Islam. Yeah. So many Muslims leave Islam, African-Americans, women and and they they have been so many of them were searching for answers mm -hmm. and they believed that at the end they ended up believing what the people were saying that this you have no right to speak about this you're disrespecting uh, muslims you're disrespecting scholars but if i sit and i'll talk about that in my in the next podcast but when i'm sitting and i and i know here's a sheikh literally talking to arab women telling them how ugly black people are but look at this black woman who's covering herself I mean, how does that affect someone psychologically? Right, and see what, but what I think what happens is, see, like a lot of the masses, and this is the difficult space, you know, that people who talk about these things are in. The masses aren't privy to these types of studies, you know, so it's only like, uh, uh, only like the, the almost like the good old boys slash girls club that kind of gets to get privy to those things, but because they get the benefits of being in the club. It's almost like we don't we're not going to say that this is in the teachings and then the mat and then of course they when it trickles down they water it down for the masses but the masses can still feel that something's wrong they know that something's not right because as human beings Allah still gives us this perception like most human beings have basic perception we know when someone is for us and when they're not or when they care and when they don't and that type of thing so we feel it but they're not quite sure what it is as much as say someone like you because you actually got privy to the, the studying part, right? So by the time it reaches them, it's just confusing. You know you're lower class. You know you're lesser than, but you're not quite, quite as sure why, unless you happen to, let's say, be 
very directly connected with the with the community or society and so that's why for example a lot of women um or i'm not just a lot of women but a lot of regular muslims most regular muslims don't attend the religious um area um the religious building of their of their uh in their area because they, they don't feel like there's a place for them and a lot of that has to do with this kind of class this kind of class um setup so the the group of people who are still the, the majority of the group of people who still go to these places they feel like there's something in it for them so they're willing to ignore a little bit of the suffering of the people who who realize that it's not anything in it for them if you get my drift right and mm -hmm. so it's almost like there's this clash here and so it and so it makes people who yell about this thing almost like um okay well why are you why are you making it such a big deal you know what i'm saying to a lot of people and that's even more confusing but like you said when you witness a lot of people leaving Islam or being disconnected from what Islam really means, and you say something about it, you gotta, well, one, you gotta say something about it. Um, and so, you know, it, again, it's a, that's just another observation that I have. And another thing that, you know, even from the conversation that I had earlier, you know, that just makes me think more. I mean, we, we're going to talk about this more in the next podcast too. Um, but what do you think I mean, about that? I mean, I, I guess for me, my question becomes, then what's the point? <laughs> I mean, no, no, I'm serious. I'm not being facetious. <laughs> what's the point? Like, a masjid is not a place of, it's not a private country club. Right. Where only the card-carrying members of perfection get to enter. Right. And real quick, we're going to answer your question soon. So I'm just letting people know that. So we do see the first question, and then we see another one. So go ahead. You say, go ahead with what your thought is. Yeah, so I'm saying like, I'm okay, let me speak for myself because I don't want to speak for anyone else. Okay. As I've said, anyone who's followed my work knows I went through a period where my Iman dropped so low, I almost left Islam. Right. And I had to fight to hold on to my Iman. And the feeling that I had to work through was that Muslims who, the Muslim leadership, they don't care about me. Right. Except with very few exceptions. Now, I'm not talking about rationale and edip. I'm talking about how I felt. Just plain, real talk. Right. When I expressed my suffering, I was accused of not having edip. Right. When I expressed my desire to follow what the Prophet said so that I'm not traumatically connected to the trauma that some of the teachers are teaching, I was accused of being arrogant. Mm. I was asked, who do you think you are? Right. You need to submit to these scholars. You don't ask any questions. Right. Oh my God, are you still there? I'm still <laughs> okay. here. It's just I'm having a little issue here, but go ahead. Don't worry about it. Just okay. Keep going. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm saying, like, I was accused of basically I'm the problem because I'm hurting. Right. I'm hurting, so I'm the problem. Why? Because when I screamed for help, my voice wasn't in proper edit. Yeah. I mean, what what kind of foolishness is this? Yeah. Yeah. And when I was trying to find a way to get out of that pain, and I said, okay, let me just focus on Allah and the Prophet because I'm fighting, I'm clawing my way to stay Muslim. Because yeah. I don't want to believe this represents my faith. Right. Then I'm saying, then I'm accused of disrespecting scholars. You know, and whereas for me, there are, there are, and I won't name their names, but I can count on one hand, there are some scholars today who are very dear to my heart. Yeah. But I, one hand, less right. than one hand. Because they, they show that there's a respect and love for the human being and the human soul. 
And so when I when people are going through trauma, whether it's dealing with anyone, like it's if it's their husband, whether it's their parents, whether it's the, the a leader, anyone who who we're taught is superior to us, the, the go-to response is you be respectful, you show proper etiquette, you be patient. But I'm dying inside. You know, that's you know, it's it's worse than interesting because you know, it makes me think of reading about the Siddha of the Prophet Muhammad and one of the things that stood out to me was that when people, whether they were Muslim or not, showed their hurt towards him, especially regular people. Now, it was different. When it was people of status, he was very, very strong and very determined. But when it was people who were just regular people, even if they were in ignorance and even if they were wrong sometimes, he was very patient and, and a lot of women grew um, were drawn towards him because he was patient with the plight, with their plight. He listened, he heard them, he heard their cry, and he was sensitive to the fact that they had an issue. It was, it, it was like, I'm going to hear you. I'm going yeah. to listen to you and give you a chance. Now, I'm going to, real quick, we're going to go to the first question, which is, do these scholars purposefully filter their racism so it is, it is subtle? I'm gonna answer that first. Uh, okay. uh, let me answer it first. You jumped. You jumped up. You jumped up first. I absolutely believe that there are some people who are not only do I believe. Alhamdulillah, I've had the opportunity to talk to some people who have who have, who have dealt with them directly, you know, and talk to them directly. Absolutely, they absolutely try to water it down and make it feel like it's not that bad. Um, in order to con kind of control the situation because they see some stuff that they're like, oh, my God. And they're like, okay, we can't show it like this. But you go ahead. You go ahead. But let's, let's, what, do, what do you have to say? <laughs> well, first of all, let me give a little background. Okay. Okay. I'm, uh, as most people know, I'm African-American. My parents converted to Islam and, and made the transition in 1975 with a lot of African-American Muslims from the Nation of Islam. And then I went to Egypt, studied there for a couple of months. Mm -hmm. um, and I lived in Saudi Arabia for seven and a half years. And I've been, and I was studying Quran, you know, Aqidah, Tafsir, uh, a lot of this in, in the United States of America, Egypt and Saudi Arabia. And I will say this to the response to Layla's question. A lot of leaders don't even process their racism as racism. Okay, you have to understand that. A lot of scholars and Muslim leaders do not process their racism as racism. Some things they actually just believe is Allah's qadr. And I talk about this in the next podcast. And that's, that's some, you know, that's not all. Um, others actually have, and I'm, can, am I allowed to be really blunt in here? Or please, should I please, we need, we need. Water it down? Just be blunt. Okay, let just me be just blunt. be real. Some people who have given themselves the label scholar suffer from what would be in mental health called narcissistic personality disorder. Okay? Let's just be blunt. But we're not allowed to address this because we have we have taken on the um, traits of the Jews and Christians that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala warned us against about not taking our rabbis and monks and scholars as lords besides Allah. So we cut off the sunnah from the, from the sahaba that they bought, took from the Prophet ﷺ, which is self-checked. Everyone's checking each other. Whereas before, scholarship was something 
it wasn't a badge you put on yourself. It was a heavy amana. Yes. It was a heavy responsibility. Yes. And they ran from that and took it on only when they knew they had to. People, for example, carrying their books for them or washing their feet. These were at the best fringe benefits that they didn't ask for. Right. Okay. Today, people come out of a university and want you to kiss their feet. As if this is like a haq, Yanni. That had, I mean, this is not something that's, that's, that's a part of being a scholar, okay? So what you find in Islamic history is a shift from scholarship that is based on iman and real life and scholarship that's based on uh, self-praise and people worshiping you, okay? We've shifted from that. Now, you do have exceptions, alhamdulillah, and a lot of the exceptions are not celebrated. Okay, so what I have experienced in, in many situations, and I'm not even going to get into specifically what, is that there are scholars who actually need mental health um, uh, help because they have <coughs> wounding and they've turned to Islam to cover up that wounding to 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 and to and so what they see themselves as like some sort of gods on earth. They don't have they don't have any um, mistakes and they've created cults with this, that they believe they have magic powers, they mess with jinn. Some of these people have mental health issues. But because they put the title scholar on themselves, we they don't address like regular people like me and you or my sisters in Islam. When they're struggling, they go to they go to get help, which is what humans do. Even Amr ibn Khattab obviously he didn't have those problems that people have, but he would go and talk to the other Sahaba who were alive during that time when he was a leader asking, am I doing something wrong? To the point where he at one point thought he was a monathic. Right. And even there, there's, there are cases he's crying, thinking, am I doing what's right? Right. Here is a person who's promised paradise, crying out of fear for his soul. And here you have people today, a person says to them, you know what, that hurt me. Oh my God, you're disrespecting me. That, that person needs to go to the psychological um, institution and get some help. That is narcissistic wounding. But, they, but, but what we do with, in Islam with Muslims is that when someone has a personal problem, okay, only the commoners need help. But when we see a scholar or a leader clearly having mental issues or clearly having narcissistic traits, we don't encourage them for self-healing. So I see it. I've seen this kind of abuse in many different settings, and I just roll out. I'm not sitting around here stoking your ego and being a groupie for you because your mother traumatized you when you were little and you didn't have enough sense to go and get mental health, so you go and put Islam as a label on it. No, I'm not going to do it. So some of these people who have the, the personality disorder don't even know what's wrong with them because when someone has this disorder, they process all of their pain and their perception as reality. You're the problem. If they feel pain, you you're the problem. So that's part of the problem. So I'm sorry if um. Well, I mean that's I mean that's that's absolutely <laughs> true. You know, and problem. I and I've seen no, that's true because they, you know, like you said, there and there have been few who have talked about this particular issue um, amongst that you know amongst a group of people, and we just have to acknowledge that we're living in the last days, and we know that you know during the last days, we know that part of the you know, what part of the what prediction of the last days we're going to be dealing with scholars who are or, or proclaimed scholars or false scholars as well. And, and it's going to be harder to know who's who. So exactly. we have to we have to actually face the reality 
that just because somebody went and say they studied, for one, we don't know. We, we, we didn't live with them. They come into our community. We don't know most of these, 99% of these people, we don't know at all, right? And so the second part of, uh, of Layla's first question that I want to address too is that what's, what's happening too is that the people right under the scholars or the, what they, who they would call the students and knowledge though, they do see a lot more of this stuff. And they're the ones who are like protectors and gatekeepers for this thing too. I remember I was, I was, I was in, in a class once and I remember one of the brothers was talking about how he had read some things for some, you know, some really, really respected scholars that were just super racist. And, the, and this other brother came and immediately said, well, you know, um, he probably just didn't mean it. And the brother was kind of dealing with, so the brother, the African-American brother, so the, this was an immigrant brother who came and said that. The African-American brother was just dealing with the fact that, man, it, it, when he found it out, it was painful to him. So this other brother comes, he probably just didn't mean it. And I had to, and, and, the, and you know, the African-American brother who complained about it at first, he was like, well, yeah, he almost confused him. So I had to step in and say, wait a minute. That's not the point. That has nothing to do with this brother, what this brother just said. Can we deal with the fact that this brother's hurt by the fact that the reality is that who he might have looked up to was a human being and, and, and actually help him. Maybe now this can get, get him to center his relationship with a law better, as opposed to jumping to excuse maybe the fault of the person, you know, who, who, you know, who did the wrong. I'm not even going to address the fault or not just the fault. Let's address, let's address the pain so that we can do the healing, but they want to jump immediately to the protection of the image of the system. Well, because, but if you study even abusive relationships, right. that's how they work. Right. Okay? Right. If, if someone, a parent is abusing a child, right. the child goes to get help from another family member. Right. Oh, they love you. When they, when they punched you and bruised you up, they didn't really mean it. A wife right. is beat down by her husband, broken bones. Right. Oh, he loves you. Oh, he yeah. didn't really mean it. And so this is what we're left with. And the irony is, is that what we're creating for people who have acting, yeah, they just say, forget all of it. They're not dealing with it. So what you have is this kind of like, and then for many people who are trying to be respectful, and I know this for a fact, so I'm just going to say it. Many of the people who are trying to be respectful to the scholars, they behave in a way that's almost like, um, cow towing and shucking and jiving and then and then when they leave they're like whoo then they talk about what's really on their mind and heart because what it is is that you you have to create it's almost like the <coughs> british royalty you have to stand a certain way you have to talk a certain way you can't turn your back you can't do this because you can't talk to these people like regular human beings you say one thing and they break apart it's and i wrote about this too in one of my books it's this concept and this is not only with leaders this is with any human being anybody who, right with any of us right, right. Who, who, are, who are dealing with wounding, and many of us are, by the way, and so I give a shout out to anyone who's getting healing, okay? Many of us have wounds. But when those people are not dealing with those wounds, whoever it is, whether you're a lay person, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a scholar, whether you're a mother, whether you're a father, as soon as someone says something that threatens this sense of self that you've created to block yourself from the reality, you, you panic. Right. So you have what's called a fragile ego. So whenever someone comes to you, your entire spirit and mind and soul is like a, a fragile piece of china that has to be handled so delicately. And if it's bumped, it crashes to the ground and everyone's like, ah, you should have known how valuable that was. Right. That 
the ego of someone with wounding. Right. So what the, the person who is more mature and intelligent, and when I say mature and intelligent, I don't mean perfect. I'm saying a person who knows the, the necessity of jihad enough, mm -hmm. who knows that every human makes mistakes, who knows that whether you're a scholar, lay person, we all have to be checked. Right. Okay. That person just rolls out. Right, right, right. Okay, they're not they're we're, they're not going to sit around and 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 kowtow and 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 play around like like this fragile dish, you know, so to speak, is my leader. No, it's not. We're not going to do it. And what they don't realize, what they don't realize, a lot of these scholars who are trying to cover up this stuff, is you're actually just ruining the very thing that you're trying to protect, because Islamic scholarship is actually sacred. Yeah. True scholarship, which is very rare today, is actually those people protecting the teachings of the Prophet And by you making this about you and your little wounded ego, you're violating that. So now people don't know who to trust. Right. They don't know who to talk to. Right. So they have to run from from anyone who has these labels because they know the the ninety nine percent chance you're going to be told you're being disrespectful. You don't have proper adept. You don't know how holy this person is. You're worth nothing to them. How dare you? He didn't mean it. Blah blah blah. And at the end of the day, the only common denominator is you don't matter. You know, and okay? the, the, one of the things that the, the, the scholar, the brother who I talked to today, you know, who graduated, you know, graduated and has many degrees. One of the things that I told him today and he agreed, he, he said he had no argument, you know, because I wanted to see if there was another perspective, if there was something I was missing, was that uh, my understanding of the, of the scholars or the inheritors of the prophet as they have, you know, as they as as the mantra that they have taken is that they are supposed to be on the front line when it comes to taking the pain like when you decide that that's the place you want to go you have a higher you have you have to take more than the average person you shouldn't exactly. be the most sensitive and the, and the weakest when and the most fragile when it comes to ego you have to take the beating the worst because that's part of your training that's part of what you've been training for right so it, exactly. so like you know like I was telling him that what I have seen is that let's say 90% of the lectures that I hear is beating up on the Muslims in some kind of way, beating up on some, something that they're doing, telling them you got to get right. And, but the other side of it, the part that I'm like, but if we remember, if I, if I recall correct in prophetic tradition, a, a large amount, maybe more amount, of, a bigger part of the prophetic tradition was also going to, the, the biggest pressure in your community or your society or wherever you were and saying um, Allah's law, Allah's word is true. I invite you to it first, but I'm telling you it's true. And that if you don't stop, number one and number two, I invite you to that. Number three, if you don't want to come, then at least stop oppressing the people. And, and not only do we see this, we should see this as publicly as we see you beating down the regular people. At yeah. least, I'm saying, I know it should be more, but I'm saying at least if you gave me half. Yeah, but the thing is, is that this is what, we, what we've come to, is that the job of the leader today is to, to um, basically browbeat. Well, no, I mean. The regular people feel <coughs> bad. We. And it, our job <coughs> as the regular people is to just 
you know, bow to them and, and, and say all these wonderful words. And, and we, they have no accountability to us. All of the responsibility is on us. Basically, we have to worry yeah. about their egos. Yeah, basically, I basically I have I have traveled. I have spent all this time doing X, Y, and Z. So now you've got to do this for me. You've got to do X, Y, and Z. you got to follow me. you got to do X, Y, and Z. But the problem is, is that people who are looking for that solution, that Islamic solution, the issue is, is that they're learning their deen from these people at the same time. So it's confusing to them because they're like, okay, I got la ilaha illallah from you. But then right after I got, okay, now I'm, I'm, I got to change my life to there's no God but Allah. But now I got to center, center my practical reality around you, but you don't have anything for me. You don't have anything yes. for me besides beating, beating up on me. Yes. So, so it becomes yes. confusing unless you happen to be privileged enough to not have to worry about that because you have gainful employment somewhere else and that type of thing. And by the way, that's why I believe so many people don't see this. Because, like, for example, even where we are, like, right now on social media and stuff like that, I would actually venture to say that a lot of people won't actually feel this that sensitively because they haven't experienced the type of survival that it takes. For yes. example, when you go, go through a big divorce or something cataclysmic as a big death in your life and, and everything changes in your life and now you're grasping and trying to survive and you don't know where your, where your food or your money is going to come from for the next day. But there are a lot of Muslims yes. who go through that. They just don't have a voice and articulation and maybe we do. You see what I'm saying? That's true. No, I know, I know, because I mean, at the end of the day, like, and I mean, Haider said, you know, we shouldn't look at our scholar, our, our teachers as infallible, and that's the that's the point, right? Because you know, we we these people are not infallible, and it, and and also like when people are coming to them with the problems, like you discussed, you know, what is I understand? I'll put it like this: I understand that my journey is not the journey of other people. People, the average Muslim really genuinely just believes like they kind of it reminds me of a family you know it reminds me of a family where you have like a couple of scapegoats scapegoats in a family if you study about what happens in abusive families and the rest of the people are fine okay as long as you're doing what that abusive parent aunt right. uncle want want for, whether it's right. nothing at all right or saying what they want to hear, then you will never see that side of them. Right. But the one who asks questions, the one who actually goes through a problem, or the one who behaves in a way that risks the family image or the community image or the cultural image, they're the ones who are going to see the side of that elder or that parent right. or that caretaker. So the vast majority of people, if you look at a situation, the vast majority of people in any particular situation, whether it's a family whether it's a masjid, whether it's a community, whether it's a culture, they're just living their life. They, they're not necessarily becoming exposed to the abuse and the harm that's happening on a level that other people don't perceive. Right. So what happens is, is that when that person speaks out in the family or when that person speaks out in the community, they're perceived as a troublemaker. That's right. And so that, for example, if a woman is in an abusive marriage, right. okay, and she's married to someone who's of a high respectable station, mm -hmm. and he says he tells them she's just disrespectful and she's lying, they're gonna believe him, right? Okay, she can have bruises all from head to toe, mm -hmm. and she's not gonna be believed. And this is why a lot of people who are suffering just roll out. Yeah. Okay. 
and so alhamdulillah we do have some people okay we do have some people who actually you know are working on the ground and i want to say that over and over again who do care yeah yeah, but it, they don't yeah. get the problem. Even the one I was talking to, he cares. But you know what? It's funny because he doesn't, he shies away from a lot of social media stuff. And this is what I find amongst a lot of people who are really learned, who, who get it. They don't want the publicity because they understand the responsibility of it. And I don't blame them for it. The problem is, unfortunately, we left with the narcissist and somebody's got to fight that. Now, the next question is, do these scholars have a lack of comp lack? of competency for dealing with the layers of racism because they engender it themselves or are they just clueless? And I would say everything is happening. All, all of the above, all, all of the above at different levels, it depends on the person, you know, I would say the sincere ones are clueless. You know what I'm saying? It's the ones who engender, but then, you know what I'm saying? It's like, here's the thing, Layla, what happens is when you have, when you have something to lose, for exposing things, it becomes very easy to rationalize that it doesn't exist. You know what I mean? And so, and this relates to your next question, which is do, do African-Americans studying under these emotionally and mentally damaged scholars or those embracing racism internalize it and use it against African-American lay Muslims? Again, when you have something personally to lose, it becomes a lot harder to see the, the, the damage being done when you're when you feel like you might be involved in it it's one of the hardest tests not this is a hard test for any human being you know what i mean and this is why this is also why it's so important to be grounded in in, in basic tawhid and la ilaha illallah and what that means and what it means to just throw all gods out except for allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because the god for example that god of having wanting to to keep your comfort and i'm gonna say this specifically for men men like men and you can learn this from from watching high school or middle school men are about having an image of being of looking like they are about something <laughs> we want to look like we are known as something i mean even and some of it i'm gonna be honest some of it we have to learn how to how to discipline it but some of it is putting us so that we can go out and win the bread you know and take care of people we gotta we got we want to take care and we want to be known as, as, as having responsibility and fulfilling that responsibility, right? But, th but sometimes we start to worship the image of that more than the actual doing of that and the executing of that and what that actually means in real life, right? So, we, so I would say to a large extent now, what is happening and why, by the way, why I think it's so important that I, why I personally listen to women's voices like an Om Zakiya and I'm like, I will not, just because, because as a man, sometimes as a man, we have this capacity to go cold in order to do what we got to do to win the bread or do what we got to do to survive. And in that time, we, we will make things positive that aren't necessarily positive just to keep going because that's what we do, right? And then a lot of times it's the women who pull us up and say, wait, there's something wrong. It's the women and their intuition and their perception that say, wait, there's something wrong. There's some people hurting. And you will find this throughout the time of the time of the prophet you know you will find this and you will find that when they heard this thing they jumped to try to correct they were scared because they were so afraid of being oppressive but it was the women and the downtrodden who often pulled the tug the coat of the people who were were really busy with trying to keep 
keep the positions going and keep the status going of the of, of, of the general environment and the general culture because and the general politics of a thing because that's a big thing too you know yeah. um and and so what's going on now is because we have this extra i will say this because we have this extra incentive to try to please other people because there's so much pressure on the muslims i believe that the ones who are sincere who are doing it wrong are justifying it by saying the ends justify the means hey i'm going to i'm not really going to deal with this because at the end of the day we don't need to see we don't need people to see us as weak or whatever and what the, the mistake they've made is that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and i was just talking to you about this the other day allah subhanahu wa ta'ala controls all that is good and our job is to have more faith in him than our ideas right and if we don't address and we know how how much how much of the Quran discusses making sure that you protect the oppressed and to protect the downtrodden and Allah will t call you straight out if you don't and who we have to answer to on a, on a day of judgment if we don't actually really acknowledge that yeah and, and and one of the things that what what's happening is that a lot of what we consider and I'm gonna keep saying that what we consider Islamic scholarship because we do have to realize we're close to the day of judgment and true Islamic scholarship is rare and even the definition of what a scholar means is not what it means today. You don't get to just go study off. You're just out of nowhere, come back with a degree and you're a scholar. Okay. Now you might be a scholar in the worldly sense of the Western term because you have a degree, but that's not how scholarship worked in the past with the Prophet Sallallahu and the Sahaba. But one of the things I want to point out is that what I find continuously, whenever you find falsehood being taught and is spread is there's a disconnect from the message of the Quran a very serious disconnect from the message mm -hmm. of the Quran. Whether mm -hmm. it's something as simple and obvious as Allah saying, worship me and not anyone else. Don't take your leaders and, and, and religious teachers as gods besides me. Okay? Be careful about self-praise. Don't put all this uh, purity to yourself. Know that you could be doing something that you think you're doing good, but you're not. All of this is in the Quran. Right. Okay? And this, we violate it step by step by step. Right. Self-praise, calling people awliya of Allah, mm. calling people saints. We don't have any business in this type of stuff, okay? And then when we have a surah, okay? One surah in the Quran that deals specifically, the title of it deals with the, the one thing that everybody says we should ignore, the complaining woman. Mm-hmm. Everybody, that, that one woman, ah, mm -hmm. Okay. We have a surah dealing with this. No, I'm being real. Okay? And this is the surah where, incidentally, Allah's name is every single ayah. <laughs> By the way, I just love that fact. Allah's with you, sister. The only surah in the Quran, every single ayah his name is in is the one where the woman's complaining, Mujadila. And keep, and what I, when I'm reading the tafsir and I'm studying Quran, it's so profound because what people do when a woman is complaining or anyone downtrodden, the first thing they do is they try to micromanage their voice, micromanage their adept, micromanage and, and remind them of the superiority of the person they're complaining about. But what was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's first words? Qad sami Allah. Qad sami Allah. Meaning like, Qad is like, Allah is putting that emphasis on it. And then he says, before he even mentioned his name, Sami'a. Allah, meaning Allah has heard the, 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 um, 
the, the speech of the woman who is complaining about her husband. The first thing Allah did was say, I hear you. I hear you. We don't even get that. And then he addresses it. He didn't tell her, oh, look how great your husband is. Oh, look at the rights of the husband. He, after he said, Qad sami Allah, and he says how he, he, he heard the, the, the complaint of the woman and he, he, he acknowledges not just saying he heard. And this, all of this, if you research psychology, they say this is healing. Not only does Allah say he heard, he then repeats exactly what her complaint was. I hear you when you say this and this and this. And then after he says it, he says it's wrong. And then he says, and then a man who's guilty of this, this is what he needs to do. Does this negate that a husband has to be respected? No. Does it negate that we, we as women have to be grateful to Allah? No. Right. Allah didn't, didn't address it like that. Right. When you have a legitimate pain, the sunnah that Allah shows us in the Quran and the sunnah that the Prophet showed them is you listen with your heart. Allah wasn't worried about the non-Muslims reading it. Oh my God, what if they know Muslim <laughs> women complain? <laughs> what kind of stupidity is this? This is how we think. Oh my God, what if they know that some Muslim men beat their wives? Keep it quiet, sister, for the sake of Allah. You can be dead, buried, bleeding. They don't care. Yeah. Because white America is more important than the, the soul of those Muslims. Well, you know, I mean, it, you know, listening to that, you know, it just makes me think that, you know, that's, you know, part of that has to do with also the assault on, on manhood, you know, because, uh, see, when you, be, when you become more secure in your manhood, less worried about, you know, how your ego feels, you know what I mean? Then you're able to do that more. You're able to listen. You're able to see past your own pain. But the problem is, is that, you know, uh, you know, we have almost been trained as men that, you know, that, that because like really ignore by almost being trained to ignore our pain. When we actually have to deal with someone else who has pain or is dealing with pain, we have no training in it at all whatsoever because we don't even know what to do with, with ourselves. We, we don't know what to do with it with ourselves at all. And again, this is another thing that, what, that I think was really, really profound about a, a group of uh, believers in the Sahaba. And I'm not really, I'm not making it, I'm not trying to make the Sahaba, the time of the Sahaba a utopian situation. It was very stressful during that time either, too. But there's some, some very, very, um, very, very um, profound things, jewels that I took from, from, from how they changed almost immediately when they became Muslim. And one of those things was the vulnerability of the male and how they started to discuss what, what they went through and when they had their issues and how they talked it out and that type of thing. And because we have stopped that, you know, and because, and again, it goes back to protecting that class and protecting that image. And I'm a, that was the main thing. Now, honestly, it gave me a headache. I, I, after I had that conversation, I had a headache and I had to take a nap because it actually told me that is worse than even I thought. Wow. And and I mean, literally, it gave me a headache. I ain't even like I. Wow. I it was I was oh, I had a hard time getting up to sound. I, I mean, I, I know we still got to have this conversation because because we, we promised it tonight. <laughs> but it gave me a headache because this has been going on since the Prophet Sallallahu died. Like literally a couple, like a hundred years after the Prophet Sallallahu died, this became a major thing, and it made me realize, man, this ain't going nowhere. Uh, uh, 
I mean, we can do it. We we gotta we gotta fight it, but it ain't going nowhere. And it really and a, a lot of it, so much of it boils down to, you know, you got people who are trying to protect their their image, and it's all related to pride. It's all related to 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 the fact that you know I'm in this situation now that 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 feeds my pride and ego, and anybody that's a threat to that. I'm going to figure out a way to cut that down, even if it means to use Islam. And the brother acknowledged that to me as well. He said, yeah, people are using Islam where they shouldn't be. This is a scholar who's saying they are using, other scholars are using Islam. They're using it to, they're using it to basically beat people down when they're hurt or when they're, or even more when their class or, or, or when their status is being threatened. And we know full well that when people get to a point where their status is at a certain level, they will fight. They will fight to the death to keep it. They will fight to the death, except for a few. So we're in for. So what it tells me is we're in for a battle. We are in for a battle. And so going back to the going back to the, the discussion of racism, because it's very important that um, that we link the two. I mean, it's very. I mean that we we see how this these these things link together. Racism is is I mean in Islam and prejudice in Islam is a is a symptom of this issue the, of this root of this issue. You see, this is one of the ways because remember, darker skin. It's been in style for darker skin to be discriminated against for hundreds and hundreds of years now. You know, mainly led led by the mainly led by the British lately. You know what I'm saying? But it's been in style, so it's in style. I mean, it's. When you think about it, I mean, when you talk about someone who says that, okay, if someone, they, they would, there are some people who are saying they would, they, you know, someone should be subjected to death if they call Ali black, even though Ali was reported to be as dark as me. Yeah, I read that with the Prophet Sallallahu too. There was a thing that said whoever says the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was black right. should be killed. Right. And he wasn't yeah. white. He wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't white. I, you know, I, I, but you know what I'm saying? He wasn't white. He wasn't Caucasian white. You know what I'm saying? That that's pretty clear. So anyway, yeah, it, it, yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's it's and it's stuff like um, and I and, and and I think like what happens is, is that a lot of the people who don't spend a lot of time even studying in detail, they don't even know the racism that people are talking about. They might feel it, for example, like for, when they send their children to Islamic schools that are predominantly non-black. You know, the racism is, you know, I mean, palpable. Okay, you can feel it. You know, and there's this attitude that is so traumatic that it sends a lot of children and, and even adults into emotional and mental distress. So people actually have, many Muslims have decided that the public school that teaches things completely against Islam is safer. The, some African-Americans have decided that's safer for their children than a Muslim school who talks about Allah, but a right. That links a law in Islam with your nothing. And I can't, cannot blame him. Woo! Cannot blame him. Uh, the next the question that we, since racism is ingrained in Muslim scholarship through writings of past scholars, how do African American, Caribbean, and Black British Muslims avoid spiritual abuse while, while they seek knowledge? Great question. I'll let you start with that one. All right. I'm gonna have to say a du'a before this one, cause I, I, I this is a part of my story, so I'm gonna need Allah's help to be calm. Okay. All right, Bismillah, come on. Hey, Alhamdulillah. Wassalamu alaikum. I'm gonna say this. 
We need to go back to what Allah says. Your Lord is Allah. And the only human being who has authority over your life in a spiritual capacity is the Prophet And I mean it, the only human being. And you have to believe this with yaqeen. You have to believe this with certainty. And you have to engage with your Lord each day, knowing he's there listening to you. And it's a difficult thing because I'm telling you, going through spiritual crises, dealing with constant abuse from Muslims, okay? You do begin in a spirit, emotional level, even if not in an aqal level, even if not in an intellect level, you begin to think that the, how people treat you represents how Allah sees you. So to disconnect from this, the spiritual abuse, there's no way to do it except that you're engaging with Allah daily with prayer, with the Quran, with dua, and minimizing your exposure to the poison. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say it again. You stay connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and minimize your exposure to the poison. This is to save your emotional, spiritual, and physical life. Because the result of constant emotional trauma is you end up wanting, you end up, many people end up being suicidal. And even if they're normally not like that, and it happened to me. Okay? To you, how, what do I mean by the poison? Any class that puts a human being above a law, roll out, leave. And real quick. I don't care how knowledgeable they are. And real quick, what that might mean, and hold that thought, because I want you to continue. What that might mean practically in an everyday sense, um, sense is if you're in class, right, and you hear the person who's teaching you speak more about their teacher than Allah and speak more about their teacher than the messenger and quote, quote their teacher more than they're quoting Allah and his messenger, then, then you have to, then that's a sign. That's a big sign. Go ahead. And I want to say that we have to realize something too, especially those of us who are parents. Or, or, or teachers, or people who are dealing with youth or younger people. Some of us are able to be exposed to the poison and not get as sick as another person. Right. But you're poisoning your children, you're poisoning the youth who trust you, and everyone can't drink poison and be okay. Right. Okay? There are people whose parents fed them that stuff, and they're so traumatized, they don't want anything to do with Islam. Right. I work with people who, if they hear the word hadith, they hear the word prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. They have emotional triggers because of the abuse and the harm that slowly, with they, which was called the slow drip, yeah. the emotional manipulation, the spiritual manipulation, the mental uh, manipulation that's done in the name of the religion is so traumatic that they're trying to heal that even they're saying, I know it's a problem, and they're trying to work through it. It is that bad. And it's not from evil people. It's from sincere people. And I'm just going to say, inshallah, like me and you, we love our scholar. We love our teacher. We love our sheikh. He's so nice. He's so good. He's not like the other ones. But remember, every, everything has a lesson that's deeper than the words. And what I mean by that is there's a saying that says, <clears throat> excuse me, that children will almost never do what you say. But they'll almost always do what you say. <coughs> you go ahead, because I'm losing my voice. Okay, I'm so, all right, yeah, I saw that. Okay. <clears throat> all right, I was so in tune with what you were saying, and I, 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 I got to get myself back for a second. Okay, so <coughs> speaking, back to speaking what you were saying, because I did have some, um, some thoughts on this too, when it comes to how um, 
how people who are studying um make sure that that you expose yourself that you are also constantly exposing okay. yourself um replacing and supposing yourself to a lot of quran and, and you have your own regimen every day of 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 reading quran and, and reflecting on what the quran means so that the quran is your center that it is that it is the center when it comes to information how you how you have inf how do you um process information when you're trying to um, train yourself on how to think the Quran should be the centerpiece. It is, it is the revelation, it is the miracle that the Prophet Muhammad left and that Allah gave us so that, you know, no matter what, how, no matter how lost we get, you know what I'm saying? No matter how many people we find, like the bottom line is we're going to have, we're going to need teachers to tell us certain things, you know what I'm saying? Because we're not going to know everything. So there are going to be times we like, I need to go to ask somebody a question. I don't know this, right? Yeah. So if you are yeah, in, the and I, in the habit of, of asking, of, of reflecting on the Quran, and, you, and, and whether that starts with you not knowing any Arabic, but you slowly trying to learn a little bit of that, and in the meantime, you reading in English until you get to where you're actually learning, and you, you put yourself in a situation where you're learning vocabulary and that type of thing, no matter how slow or fast it is, you just got to be really, really consistent with it. That has to be your, you know I'm saying? That has to be your center... Oh, when it comes to no matter what you're doing, no matter what part, point of study you're doing, that has to be your center when it comes to inf Islamic information, you know, because, you know, you know, and then you could go ahead. And I wanted to say, and sorry for my, my, my throat, you know, but I'm, I got my tea. Alhamdulillah. So I want to say also, and, and to be very clear too, to answer that question, I want to read something from the Quran because I want to give directly, because Allah's advice hits the heart. And I share this in almost every single session that I have right. when I talk about this. And it's a very short thing, but it's so powerful. The answer to your question is actually in the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بالصبر والصلاة وإنها لكبيرة إلا على الخاشعين. And what? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Sorry, my thing went over. But See what happens when you're passionate, just jumping all over the place? Go ahead. I know. It's Allah's words, you know. But, um, no, but what, what's happening, it, it, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us in this is that if you're go like your help is going to come through two things, sabr and salah. This is literally what's being said here. Like your help is coming through the suburb and the salah. And our problem is we're looking to people. Right. We keep looking to people. And the answer to what we're doing is actually in connecting to, to our creator. And so Allah SWT is saying to us, like, you seek the help through suburb. And I mentioned this before in another conversation. And I'll keep mentioning it because the reminder benefits the believer. Suburb, he mentioned suburb before the salah. And suburb. In, in the Quran and the Sunnah, it's two things. It is to be patient with any, to doing those things that are going to help your soul and be patient with withholding yourself from those things that are going to harm your soul and the Salah. And this is going to be hard. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying it's going to be difficult. Okay? 
So those people who have chashul, those people who have concentration and love and dedication and, and connection to the Salah. So if you want to check how well you're dealing with trauma and spiritual abuse, how connected are you to the Quran? How connected are you to the Salah? If you normally miss the Salah, if, if you, you don't read the Quran every day, then know that the trauma is affecting you in ways you can't even measure. And even if you are connected to the Quran and the Salah, your, your body will just, and your spirit will be awakened to the pain in a way that it wasn't before. Okay, so how we deal with this, we have to remember that the most important thing is to protect our soul and stay connected to Allah and don't, it, don't trivialize the Salah, don't trivialize that sabr with the Quran. And make sure that this is your daily practice. And you know that, in, and understand that when you do this, don't expect the feeling and the sensitivity to be alleviated. As a matter of fact, you're going to feel pain that you probably never mm. felt because you're mm. going to start to be more sensitive to the pains of people who you never thought of before because that's what the Quran does. It opens you up to the knowledge. And even you're going to feel the pain of things that you've done yourself that you were like, man, I did that wrong. Man, I fought this. And I was wrong, man. I need to go apologize to this person because I was doing the same thing that I see other people doing. And that's that's one of the things that that does when you do that like that. So going back to that then, question yeah. <coughs> again about um, safer um, African American um, us other people seeking knowledge. Also understand this: there is no knowledge base that's greater than those things. You're not going to find anything greater, and that's the other thing you got to realize. Islam is so amazing because. Allah has given the clearest thing is the greatest thing. The, 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 the simple thing are the greatest things. And if you're looking for these super complex, secretive, sacred things, you know what I'm <laughs> saying? That, that are going to increase you before you're looking to the thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said is the answer, you're going to go into a black hole. Exactly. You see what I'm saying? And so that's also what you got to realize. Allah has custom made this religion so that the, 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 the person who is not that let's say, int in intelligent from a talent stand standpoint can be a standout superstar believer. Exactly. And, and so Allah, Allah has all the things that you need to be saved and forgiven by him are clear. And if you keep those things in remembrance, you know, then, then you'll be much better off than if you feel like there's some big complex thing in the sky that you got to find in order to be a decent Muslim or be forgiven by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's what you're searching for when you're studying. That's when you get lost and you get caught up in the things that in, in, in the glitter of, of certain people's words. Because there are a lot of real charism charismatic people out here who will teach you that. And I always tell people one of the things that has helped me. Anyone who I see calling to them or a group more than they're saying, look, I can only be a, 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 a vector to get you to a lost one. I, I cannot do it for you. Anyone who's calling, calling more to them or to their group, then to Allah, then I run. I run. Absolutely. Because the prophet, that is the precedent of the prophets. The prophets used to have to tell people, look, don't worship me, please. You know, the prophet Muhammad used to stop people from bowing to him. You know? So you, we gotta, we, we, we gotta, we, so it's also good to kind of know those things as well. And I think, honest, if you really like, or are into it, uh, read, the, read about the Sarah of the prophet. You know, read about the Sarah, read about the history. You know what I'm saying? Read from multiple sources. It'll give you a really better, a good understanding, you know, of what happened and why this stuff is not yeah. as ironclad as, as a lot of people make it out to be. Go ahead. 
And I want to say that we also need to understand the connection between, like one of the reasons that Shudderk is so widespread in history is that it takes a lot of emotional honesty mm -hmm. and humility, even like Angela mentioned. The way to, to healing is, 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 is and, and, and um, progress is, is humility. Mm -hmm. Human, humility also brings vulnerability. It brings uncertainty. And it also awakens your soul to the fact that no human being can save you. Yeah. So what happens yeah. is when our iman is weak, when we're not engaging in the, the spiritual healing through the Quran each day, through the Salah, yeah. we need, we need to, this is a human nature. Yeah. And this is actually, they talk about this in psychology with the emotional wounding. We need to do like a transference. We have to fixate on something we can hold on into our hands yeah. to make us feel validated. Yeah. Like people who have been abused and stuff like that, they will look for uh, surrogate parents. Okay. And so when you're distant from your creator, you actually look for a surrogate Lord. Yeah. And so people make their scholars, their Lords without knowing. Big point, big point, big point. Okay. Because you're not dealing with that wounding. If you actually are honest with yourself, you have to understand that no one can save you except Allah. Right. And if there's any human being who can save you, it's only you. Okay? Scholars can help us. Scholars can point us in the right direction. Scholars can be indispensable in their value when you don't put them or when they don't put themselves in a position above where Allah decreed from them, which is a child of Adam. Right. Okay? And they're human beings. Right. Right. They're human beings. And that Quran, the Quran is that medicine. Like like Angela mentioned too, also with the humility. Mm -hmm. The Quran is what brings that humility. When I read the Quran, it reminds me, subhanAllah, it's scary, but you have got to connect to the Quran and you don't ever put an intermediary between you and your Lord. You don't go and double check with somebody before you pray to Allah and before you read the Quran. We're not giving fatwas. But when we, and deal with your emotional wounding, why is it that you need to fixate on a sheikh or a scholar or an imam and say he's infallible? He's, you know, and, and he has a dream and, and you follow it. Are we out of our minds? Like these people have to come on, come on Yom Qiyamah just like we do. Yep. You don't know if that sheikh or that imam is even going to Jannah. He doesn't even know. Yep. And if he says he's going to roll out because you, it's it. You dealing with a worse problem than you can have. <laughs> okay? No, I'm being serious. Yeah. This is you don't find this foolishness with the Sahaba. Right. They got the glad tidings of Jannah, and they still were. And scared. they still were scared as I don't know what. And and and, and speaking of that that program that Quran pro, that programming man, um, there's a reason why modern media is so effective. You know, just to let y'all you know, just to let y'all know. At the end of the day, we're not telling you to do nothing that people already already aren't trying to do to you anyway. Like, basically, the whole advertising industry is based on, based on the same concept. That's not, it's not new. It's based on the same concept, actually, that was actually revealed in Revelation. That is the reminder. The advertising industry works by basically saying, hey, look, if you go behind the actual, the board, when they're actually talking in their board meetings, they're like, we're going we're gonna to break this down to people. We're going to tell them. And by the ninth time we remind them of this thing, they're going to buy whatever we want. Because we're going to manipulate their mind. We're going to program their mind such that they're going to believe that this is what they want for their life. Mm. Well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is basically saying, I, I'm not, I'm not going to do what they're going to do because I'm not going to actually like subtly do it with deception and you not even know that I'm doing it to you. I'm telling you, 
Remind yourself of what I have given you. I'm giving you this gift. I'm telling you, program yourself with the greatest of programming. And that is, and that is this book. If you don't, someone else will. And, and anyone, and I'll add to this, yes. And anyone who tries to pull you away from Allah's book, stay away from them. I don't care what they do. If they're going to say, oh, you shouldn't read the Quran because you don't have enough knowledge. Okay, you, you, you know, don't, you know, always check with the scholar before you, before you uh, make any decision. No, you check with Allah before you. As a Quran teacher, talk about that, that phenomenon where we have people who are actually telling, pulling people from, from actually engaging with the Quran because they're saying they don't know about that. As a Quran teacher, can oh, you, yeah, I mean, can you give some insight into that? I mean, yeah, this is what's happening. We find today, just like the Prophet Sallallahu prophesied that we're going to follow the ways of those before us. Like we know that the Jews and the Christians were originally Muslims. And they took step by step. It was very subtle. And they took steps by, so by the time that the, the new prophets had to come to actually call them away from the shirk, their rabbis and monks and priests and ministers were, were lords other than Allah, where you have in some sects of these religions where the, the, the average person does not read or study or make any right. decisions based on the book. Right. You're not allowed to. Everything has to go through this person. And even to the point where they reach the point where obviously they're teaching that even you, you got to pray through the prophet now. So what we're seeing today is, is the Muslims taking that step. Muslims are actually now learning from their teachers that you cannot connect to Allah except through a spiritual guide. You cannot... Uh, connect, you cannot read Allah's Quran except through having an expert next to you. And uh, you cannot even reflect on it without checking with the scholar. And we know that there's a difference between reading the Quran for reflection, for soul purification, and reading the Quran as to get fatwa, uh, fatwa or something. Okay, the way we should be engaging the Quran is, is, is to, to get engaged with Allah in, in a conversation between our soul and our Lord. Okay, and what's happening today is that the Quran is becoming something that is just parroted without the meanings. And no meaning can be understood from it except that we check with someone else, not the Prophet ﷺ, not even what Allah said. And so you find people becoming more and more distant from the Quran, whereas we have it on our shelves. And maybe we even read it a little bit in Ramadan, but many people have been so emotionally traumatized. And I'm gonna be honest about this. They're scared to interpret, they're scared to interact with the Quran. So I I remember, for example, I remember talking to the sisters, some sisters saying, okay, we, we should really get together to remind each other about Allah, and maybe we could discuss something from the Quran. And they were, they were scared, like, oh no, I don't wanna do that. Right. Who are we? But if you want to say, oh, let's get together to talk about Empire, Black Panther, Scandal, <laughs> you know, Sex in the City, they're, they're down. But to talk about your souls, to talk about Allah, we've been emotionally abused so much that we, we, we question ourselves so much that we don't even trust the voice within us. Something's wrong. We don't trust it. This is a, this is a, this is a side effect of abuse. You have a voice inside of you calling you to Allah and you don't listen to it because somebody told you you're not worthy. This is abuse. Right. 
And it's not necessarily, when I say abuse, I'm not saying there's this one chief abuser right. who's abusing everybody. Right. I'm saying that this is the way Islam has been taught in modern times, that the closest you are to being a good Muslim, the farther you are away from dealing with the Quran by yourself, the farther you are away from talking to Allah alone, and the more you put a man or human being before Allah, whether it's your husband, whether it's your parents, whether whether it's a scholar, these people come before Allah to the point where we will actually kill ourselves emotionally and mentally serving people yeah. before we trust that Allah has, yeah. has something better for us. Yeah. Is it better to be unmasked or keeping, when this is a question, unmasked or keeping one's level of knowledge to a working spiritual level instead of constant exposure to damaging messaging? Another really good question. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you why. <laughs> Look, she really she wants to she wants to have me over doing Kiyama Leo right now and coming back and doing my canoe. Yeah, um, ain't playing. Okay. Um, uh, you want to you want to you want to jump at that? Um, I think it's a uh, I think it's a question that a woman has actually should answer differently than a man. So so I want you you know what I'm saying? Oh, she's gonna turn it into. The, okay. <laughs> I'm not, uh, All right. Well, I'm, that was, that was slick. No, that was I'm slick. saying I'm yeah. saying that to say this. The good thing about the good thing, and this is a you know uh, the good thing, and I think this can actually turn out to be a good thing and a mercy for women in this, is that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has not actually required the woman, even though He has actually ordered the men to be protective of the woman to go to the masjid if they want to go, because men would actually sometimes be like, okay, they wouldn't give them the right space, and we know that Allah has protected the woman's right to go to the masjid. At the same time. It is not required of her in the same way, for example, just from a Jummah standpoint, that it is that, that a man go. You understand what I'm saying? So, therefore, some of that crazy messaging that you have to deal with, that some, like, for example, some men have to deal with, you know, a woman probably doesn't have that same conflict. So what do you think about that? <clears throat> go ahead. I'm trying. Okay. <laughs> Be honest. <laughs> okay, I'm going to say this. Every situation is different. Yeah. Every uh, area is different. And even the level of sensitivity to the damage of each person is different. Right. My personal advice to anyone who wants to learn about Islam is this. Stick to the foundations what is clear. And if you get that hunger inside of you that you want to learn more than the five pillars and the six pillars of Iman and the conditions of the Shahada and make sure you're getting authentic information. And how do you know? You make dua, you make istikhara. You, you keep every time you get, you get information, you, you constantly <coughs> touch But if you continuously get that hunger, my suggestion in 2018 personally is make your connection always to Quran. If you want to learn more, and you will, one thing about spiritual knowledge is the more you hear, the more you want. Make all of your studies the Quran. Once you've memorized the Quran and you understood everything that's being said in Arabic and English, if you want to graduate to something else, go ahead, make a sakhara. No, I'm, I'm not being facetious. I know. I'm being dead serious. I, I know. I just love it. I'm just, I'm just, that's why I'm smiling. Okay, after you've memorized the entire Quran, and you understand the meaning, not just the words, but the meaning. If you are now ready to go into a class of fiqh, a class of whatever, go ahead, 
And the only exception I would say is if you're facing a particular thing in your life where you need to know something. For example, if you don't know the fiqh of marriage, of divorce, of, of menstruation, things like this, or financial transaction, and that's your business, and you need to know it, then obviously you have to go seek that knowledge because it's obligatory upon you now. But this kind of casual listening to YouTube scholars, YouTube videos, Sheikh Google, um, I would say when you have that, unless you have something very specific that you need to know, my personal opinion is quench your thirst with the Quran. And if you feel within yourself a dread or a, a sense of anxiety thinking about going and memorizing the Quran or connecting with the Quran each day, then know that most likely you're not going to be able to benefit from anything that you're looking for anyway. Because if you don't have the Quran as your foundation, you're not going to be able to filter the damage from the benefits. Uh, you know, it's 90% it's of it's going to be damaging because if nothing else, you're training yourself that a human being can, can connect me to Allah, to Allah better than Allah can connect me to him. SubhanAllah. Okay. SubhanAllah. And Allah knows best. And that's my, that's my politically correct uh, Facebook Live answer. Because I have a whole bunch more. <laughs> well, I'm, I'll tell you what. I'm gonna, um, you know, as a guy who has who has dealt in it, who has definitely, absolutely dealt in a women's shelter, you know, who has who has who has worked with women for seven years specifically. Now, as a guy, I don't, you know, as a man, you know, I, I have a I have an obligation to go to Juma, right? You know what I'm saying? It's obligated by Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, and I actually see. And I'm gonna be honest. Sometimes I'm very very frustrated with the clippers out here. And it's damn, and sometimes I'm sensitive to the point where I get sick when I when I'm done with it because I know because of the misleading I believe is happening. But there's a reason why Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has required that of me, and I can I can actually see the wisdom in that sometimes it's because if I don't know what's going on, then how am I going to be able to you know go back and, and lead my family in that way? But I will say this: as a woman who is not necessarily always in a position of a of of being um, able to. Uh, um, not only not has the law not required you of it, of that, but you're in these positions where you have these 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 figures who are really these males who are really more about their image and protecting their image, and they don't give a crap about you. Stay away from them. I'm as a man, I'm telling you right now, stay away from them. Stay away from them for your own soul. Save your soul. Save your soul. What, use whatever whatever leeway that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has given you. Sisters, dear sisters, save your soul because at the end of the day, you still will be responsible and ask when a lot when you go, you still will have to answer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, just as I will, right? For what you know, for what you, for what you understand, right? And so when you know that something is hurting you and you have the ability to save your soul, then save your soul. Because one of the tests that women have sometimes is they want to be servers. They want to continue to serve. They want to feel like they were in a situation where they belong. You know, and sometimes that might be to your detriment. So save your soul. And like she said, every situation is different. Every location is different. And you have to understand your own sensitivity. But when you, and your gauge is this. When you find yourself more disconnected to your salah, when you find yourself more disconnected to the Quran, when you find yourself more disconnected to dua, then that is a sign that you need to look at where in your life are you seeing the, are these things that could po possibly hurt you and cut it out wherever you can where Allah allows it? Obviously, you got to do what Allah tells you to do first. But where Allah allows it, take the leeway that he gives you. I agree.
save yourself because we have to remember, and I say this over and over again, we are in the last days. Hear me, hear me, brothers and sisters. We are in the last days. The Dajjal could come at any time. Okay? We don't know what's going on. Many, the, the, the ulama say how the, most of the minor signs have already passed. Us, our children, our grandchildren can literally live to see the Dajjal or, or, or the Isa, alayhi This is not a game. And many of us who are in this conversation right now, one year from now, will be buried in the ground. We will be in that grave. Some of us probably won't even make it to Ramadan. Save yourself. Stop trying to tap dance for somebody's ego who couldn't get themselves together. They're suffering from all kinds of wounding. Stop tap dancing for these people. Okay? Anyone who, I'm going to tell you, who is a real scholar, who is a real leader, would listen to what we're saying right now and say, this is the truth. Because a person who really cares about you, whether it's your husband, your mother, your father, your wife, your email, the biggest priority is your emotional, spiritual, and mental health, even if, even if it's not with them. A person who loves you and cares for you will allow you to get help from somewhere else, to even let go if in a marriage or all these types of things when they care about you. I'm not, for example, I teach Quran. Maybe I'm not the best Quran teacher for everybody. Inshallah, I pray I'm cool with that because if I'm not, something's wrong with me. Okay? Everybody's not for everybody. It's not just in marriages and friendship. It's also an Islamic teaching. Everybody who's a scholar is not good for everybody. Some people can be beneficial to somebody and damaging to someone else. The same in marriage. Somebody could be beneficial to somebody and damaging to someone else. We need to get real. You are going to have your soul snatched from your body. And you're going to be in that grave and you're not coming back. We don't have time to sit here. Well, he didn't mean it. Well, I don't care whether you meant it or not. If it's false, it's false and you need to repent. Okay? And if you're a racist or, 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 or sexist or misogynist or, or you have those beliefs or, or you're harming my soul or whatever it is, that's not my problem. I am saving my soul. Nafsi, nafsi, nafsi. And I'm telling you, anyone, wallahi, anyone who believes in Allah and the hereafter will prioritize your soul over their ego. Always. And if they forget, they'll repent and come back and apologize. That's right. Anyone who believes in Allah and the hereafter will prioritize your soul over their ego. Always. Whether it's your mother, whether it's your father, whether it's your husband, whether it's your wife, whether it's your imam, whether it's a scholar. And when you find these cults, and that's what they are, of people who sit around talking about how great they are and I'm a saint and I'm infallible and, and I had a dream and, and oh, and I reached this level because of, oh, I do bubble baths or whatever stupidity that they, they talk about, okay? And I am being facetious there, okay? Roll out and save your soul. I don't care how much you like them, okay? That is not a spiritual teacher. That is misguidance. The only job, and I'll say it, I'll emphasize this, the only job of a scholar and a spiritual teacher is to point you to Allah's messenger, sallallahu So that is the only job. And in that doing their level best to give you the information 
that they would that 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 they've taken from Allah and His Messenger, so Allah and It is not for them to have a dream and wake up. Oh, I've reached the yaqeen and I'm the great leader of the world. You're not getting a chance to come back. Okay, don't play around with your soul. You don't owe these people anything. But Allah put you in, in charge of your soul, and you owe your soul, you owe your children, you owe your family to save yourself and them. Be in the lab from the hellfire. This is not a joke. You don't get protected from the hellfire because someone slapped the name Sheikh on their name. You don't get to protected from the hellfire just because your husband thinks he's he's the, the king of the universe. Okay? You don't get protected from, from the hellfire just because your parents think that you need to obey them over Allah. You get protected from the hellfire because you feared Allah with you what you know he told you to do. Even when it went against what the people who, who um, are trying to tell you what to do say. That's the real challenge in life. That's right. And we want to act like it's, a, it's some sort of sin to put a law above a scholar. Yanni, it's not a sin. It's, a, it's an obligation. And it's, the t and it's a test that all, that many of the religions before us has failed. I mean, literally, that's the whole, I mean, Islam comes after Christianity. And the test of the Christians was they literally made their prophet God. They literally just decide, okay, we're just going to call him God, period. You know what I'm saying? And so, really, and it's so much in the Quran about their mistakes. There's a reason why Allah's talking to Muslims about their mistakes. It's so that we don't repeat them. Layla asks, what extent of responsibility does a man have in ensuring the emotional well-being of his wife and children if he's comfortable in a community that is spiritually and emotionally damaging to his family? I guess it's the one where she said... <laughs> Am I going to be mad? <laughs> Somebody's going to be mad for asking this question. What extent does the response that a man have? I'm not mad at that question at all. It's a great question. Um, to the extent that the man knows, to, to the extent that the man has, a law doesn't charge one, a law doesn't charge people for what they don't know and what they aren't aware of, right? And the problem with a lot of what's going on in, this, in these places is that a lot of Muslims aren't aware of the spiritual, because it's subtle, but the spiritually damaging effects of things don't, they, they, they're not aware of them until it's too late, until something, I'm sorry. I was trying to actually look at the comments at the same time and I was doing too much multitasking. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of people aren't aware of these things that are happening as they're happening. And by the time it gets there, it's too late and they don't understand what's going on. And this is part of the reason why we're talking about why, talking like we're talking. So that people are aware of it, so that by the time by the time the crisis comes, they have a little bit. Because I mean, I'm gonna be honest, I don't expect a lot of people who haven't gone through anything to 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 be like, oh, okay, you know what? They know what they're talking about. Some of them, some people probably listening right now are gonna be like, oh man, they're being too dramatic and you know, wow, like you know, I never felt this because they haven't gone through much yet. But this is for but when you become aware of it, then Allah one of what Allah says that the, that to save your family from a fire made of men and stones. So it is. So let me tell you something. As a man, as a man, it is incumbent upon you to when you know that something is spiritually damaging. You said spiritually damaging. You better get them out of that situation as fast as possible and onto a road. Look, I pray for my my family. I pray for my children. I pray for my wives. Right. I pray. Right. That I pray all the time that Allah protects, forgives them. Right. This this is what this is the prayer I make, right? 
So how in the world am I going to make that prayer and then not go and follow that up with trying to ensure that? And we know that the way that wet works in in actually in actual practical functionality is is that you have that the first thing is they need to be in a safe space an environment that facilitates that healthy love of their religion of their deen. And if that means you got to pull them out of a situation where you know it's damaging, and that's what you got to do. And here's where the conflict comes. If you're a man who happens to be real invested in the masjid, right? And you get some, some, some what, what they call in the secular world, psychic benefits. You get some benefits from having a certain structure or stat, status, from, from having a position in the masjid. Then it's going to be a little bit harder for you to be like, all right, I know it's damaging to you. But like, my daughter came to me one day and told me that she was the, the black girl in the, in the class at a Muslim school. My daughter came to me, my, my, fi my five-year-old daughter came to me and told me how she noticed that she was the, just the black girl in the class at a Muslim school. So at that point, I was like, she's got to go. And alhamdulillah, by the grace and mercy of Allah, Allah has allowed us to be able to homeschool her ever since because that was emotionally damaging. And therefore, and I know that would have gone to her, you know, her spiritual upbringing as well. You know, you understand what I'm saying? And that took some financial sacrifice as well. You know what I'm saying? It took some time sacrifice. You know what I'm okay. saying? But okay, and I want to ask you this, if you're willing to talk about I, I will talk about it. I will talk about it. I'll just finish this point and you can ask me the next question. Okay, go I, ahead. Yeah. All right, go ahead. <laughs> but the bottom line is, is that really, I'm going to be as a, a lost, a lost one of the things in Quran, we talk about Quran, Allah calls us the Quran, right? We are the, the maintainers and protectors, right? So if I'm not doing my job with that, it, it doesn't matter what I'm doing if I'm going off into the world and working. If I'm going off into the world and working, but my family is suffering spiritually to the point where I'm a part of the problem, where I'm a part of the, the, the reason why they end up deciding that Islam is not for them, then what if I have to answer for that? You know what I'm saying? So it's a huge, heavy responsibility for a man. It's not small. So... One of the biggest things that we got to do as men is put our families in a position, like if we can't put our families in a position where they can thrive spiritually or at least have a chance, because it, there's one more thing to this. You also, you can only love a person to the extent that they love themselves. And that's as a man to a woman as well. So I will say this. It's not all just about the man either. The wife has to have a, a certain amount of love for herself and autonomy when it comes to her faith as well. And you and a man is supposed to influence to help her to make sure that she has that freedom and to not infringe upon that that thing, you know, where you know, because a lot of men they 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 like to make their, their their wives' religion contingent upon their knowledge. I don't think that's a good idea. I think that we sh you should share knowledge with your wife, but if your your wife might happen to know more than you, don't make her feel bad for that. Right? Encourage in the increasing of that. Her independent relationship with God is the best thing that can happen to her, and that's the thing that's going to save her. So you got to encourage that. But if you happen to have a situation where you have maybe a wife in a situation where she's like, she's really addicted to a community that's hurting her, and you try to tell her and warn her that this isn't got good for her, but she doesn't want to listen, there's not much you can do with that. So it's not just it's not just also it's also a certain amount of self love that the that the woman has to have for herself, and then the man has to give her the safe space to have that self love. You go ahead. Okay, here's my question. Uh huh. 
I'm going to I'm come at it from this angle. Right. I would like to hear, honestly, you know, because we do have men on here, okay? Yeah. How does a man in today's society that they go to Islamic classes and, 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 and where it's like you have this emasculation <laughs> being um, covered with this narcissism and this fake... Uh, I'm the king of everything and I'm in charge and you, here are my rights, okay? How does a man who's sincere and he's realizing there's a problem in his home, how does he balance vulnerability with leadership? It's a good, great question. That's a great question. Um, that's a situational question, and I will say it's very similar to the answer we gave earlier to the women when you were talking about what to do with the unmasked. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta be on that, and this is one of the things that society as a whole has tried to push men away from. You gotta be a spiritual leader of yourself. You gotta take ownership of your spirituality. You got to be in that Quran. You got to be making your. You got to be making Kiyama Lel sometimes. You got to be praying at night. You got to be making dua. You, when, you, when you have those complaints that you have in your head, you got to complain to Allah. You got to be vulnerable to Allah first, right? Mm. You got to first take the step to be vulnerable. That's, that's what actually gets you in the habit of being vulnerable in the first place. But, mm. but, uh, but what's happened now is, is that a lot of, a, a, a lot of cases, the women have become the spiritual leaders of the household. Where the women, the women almost always know more, and not even just that, the women are more motivated to learn more. The women are, are, are often the ones who are leading and trying to figure out how to fix solve the issues of the community. The women are more active in creating the events. The men are almost so beaten that we've got to get out of being beaten down, you know, and we got to get up and say, I got to, you know, do for self. But what's happened is, and part of this has to do with, with society as well, because society has taught men that the good man is the guy who kind of just kind of sits back and is un who, who has no aggression whatsoever. You know what I'm saying? Because of the, the bad aggression of the, of, the, uh, of the misogynist, because of the evil aggression, we have decided that aggression is bad, period. But Allah put aggression in men. Allah put, you can watch boys who play football. Allah put aggression in men. There is a time to be aggressive. You need to be aggressive about yourself. Aggressive about, about going after that deen the way that you, that you read about the Sahaba. Uh, you know, you, you understand what I'm saying? And, and fight for your, like men are losing the fight for themselves now. You see what I'm saying? Like that is not mutually exclusive to fighting for women. And I think that's what we've confused. Like a lot of what's happened is because we see this issue where we have so many people and now all of this stuff coming out with the abuse of women, it's like men are even doing two things. They're either being like, well, I'm going to fight for men at the expense of women or I'm going to fight for women at the expense of men. When really the only way it's going to work is you're going to have to have some self-love. We talking about now we're going back to self-love again. Men, you're going to have to love yourself and how Allah created you as a man and you're going to have to go after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's, the, the, the revelation that Allah left for you it's for you too like like why why is it 
Why? What is going on now such it, that men are not motivated to just be basic spiritual beings anymore? And I think that's really the key. The key is, is that we like we either have become and then the people who are on the opposite side of that spectrum, because there's another side to that. The people who are spiritual beings, they're the other extreme. They're literally worshiping or following a sheikh. You know what I'm saying? And they don't have any autonomy or thinking on their own. So they're like robots. And they only take whatever the sheikh told them. So they have no autonomy. And that also, I believe, comes from not believing that they can get the knowledge for themselves. And one of the things that I've noticed from a social standpoint is very interesting to me is that women are a lot, women are a lot braver when it comes to challenging, <clears throat> challenging the structure and the status quo. Men like to keep the order of things, right? And that has a place. But that's why I, I believe that Allah created a great balance with men and women, mm -hmm. where we remind each other of certain, because there's certain times where the structure and the order is needed. And then there's mm -hmm. times where the order has to be bothered and agitated. And mm -hmm. often it's the women who remind us of that. I mean, you can think about that even during the battlefield, time of the battlefield, it's how the women were like, no, you need to turn back around. Turn back around and face face these people. You see what I'm saying? So, so I think what's happened really in a nutshell is that men have have lost a balance of spirituality with manhood. It's either when they become these spiritual beings, we become these cowards. Mm. Or, or or we become these or these or people like to use the word toxic masculinity. I don't really use the word. You know what I'm saying? Because I think masculinity is a good thing in general, but I get what they're saying. I like to say it's like pseudo-masculinity because I think real masculinity is a good thing and bad masculinity is pseudo. It's not real. Um, but then they have these people who are who are, who are um, pseudo who want to use this pseudo-masculinity to, to, to cover their hurt, their wounding, like you, like you were talking about. To cover their wounding and they just end up hurting and abusing everybody. So you have these two extremes. And very few people are balanced. And I think the balance comes from the balance, Al-Mizan. And it goes back to the same thing that you were talking about. We were talking about what the women need to do, same thing with the men. It just so manifests itself in different ways. Go ahead. Okay, and a brother is asking, how do I develop my Iman? I think this is something that um, both women and men need. But I think you answered it personally. But what I is think it? You, somebody asked somebody, somebody, what did somebody ask? How somebody? do I develop my Iman? <clears throat> well, there's two things. There's... I would say there's two things, and Allah knows best. Remember, I'm I'm not a scholar. I'm not proclaiming proclaim to be a scholar. I'm just a person who has a lot of experience. Allah has blessed me with a lot of experience, and I'm just sharing that. So so I'll take it for what it is. Take the good and leave the bad. But here's two things that I've learned, and ha ha what has helped me develop. There's there's belief and there's righteous deeds, and you have to work on both. Belief in, and if you read the Quran a lot, you'll notice that Allah combines both. And Allah says, believe and do righteous deeds. And he puts one above the other. He puts belief first and righteous deeds second most of the time. Right? The belief part is the part where you have to actually reinforce yourself in the basics of Islam. That means you got to be really, really, look, if you're a person who just goes and works a nine to five, then you have the ability to be structured about your prayer. You need to make your prayers on time. You need, you need to make your prayers on a t in a time that's appointed, you know, because that reinforces that belief. You need to make sure that you're reading Quran regularly. You know what I'm saying? And then take a little bit of take a little bit of time to, to try to learn the Arabic and then take time to learn the reflection. Both are important. 
Both are important. You need to try to learn both. You need to make sure that you're making regular du'a to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for what, for, for your, for, to deal with your weaknesses, for what you want, but basically increasing your reliance on Allah by asking Allah for what you need, to ask him, asking Allah to help you with your weaknesses, asking Allah to help you with your pride when he gives you strength, but asking Allah for everything that increases your iman, it increases your reliance on Allah. All of this stuff increases your reliance on Allah. And then, after you have to have that as a regimented thing. You know what I'm saying? That's a structure and an order. Then number two is the righteous deeds. You have to follow up those things with righteous actions. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has defined a lot of righteous actions right in the Quran. If you're married, being kind to your wife is a righteous action. You know what I'm saying? Giving charity to anyone who asks is a righteous action. Even when, especially when your heart feels like you want to control the situation and ask what you're going to do with the money. Just give it if you have it. If you don't have it, you don't got to give. Allah says you don't have to extend past, you know, what you have. But if you have it, give it. That's a righteous deed. Listen to the people who, are, who, who, who have less privilege than you. That's a good deed. When you, when you listen, you know, we learn from the, um, from the lesson in Surah Abbasah. You see what I'm saying? That, that, that was a lesson for us. Listen to the people who you might otherwise think to ignore. You can get blessings from that. Um, there are many more regular actions that you can do in your regular life. Have patience. When you have power over someone, be more merciful. When you have power, when Allah has given you or granted you power over someone, whether it be a job, whether it be in a marriage, whether it be in a friendship, and you have more power than the other person, then be more merciful. And when you're in a situation where that person has more power over other people and you see unjust oppression, then speak up to that oppression. All of these things are good deeds that if you do them for Allah, and then when you do them, talk to Allah and ask him, ask Allah to expiate your sins. And make sure that, and, so, and, when, you, and when people thank you, think to yourself, some of this is for Allah. Actually, most of this is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This isn't for you. When you do a good deed and you make intentions to do that deed for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and not for them, then Allah does something to your heart. You can't increase your iman. Allah can increase your Allah increases your iman when you take an action towards him. When you increase your belief towards him and you take action towards him. But it starts with it starts with your spiritual responsibility for yourself. And then taking responsibility and accountability for the deeds that you do. And, no, and many of those, and I haven't even begun to scratch the surface on enumerating, they're in the Qur'an. Yeah. And, and I'll add two things. Um, Self-correction, meaning admitting when you're wrong, correcting yourself, apologizing, admitting when you make a mistake. And this is very important, especially for leaders. Whether you're a father, uh, an imam, a mother, mm -hmm. um, a teacher... You, if you are not willing to admit when you're wrong, then there's a spiritual and emotional uh, wounding inside of you and a disease in your heart. And the worst tyrants are the ones who cannot see when they're making a mistake or wrong. And the worst, worst ones are who don't even admit that they have that ability, who think they're infallible. And I know the brother's asking, is it better to read the Quran on a tablet or actual book? We're not scholars. I'm not going to get into the fiqh of that. 
But I'm going to say this. My personal uh, answer would be whatever Allah has made accessible and easy to you at the moment that, that, that um, you're about to read. Whatever is simplest for you. Because what happens, we, what, what I've noticed with Muslims, we go and we get these fifth questions that are very real for us. But then based on the answer, we may or may not uh, distance ourselves from the Quran because we say, well, I don't want to be disrespectful to the Quran and read it in this way. Oh, well, I'm not completely in wudu. I'm not wearing my hijab right now. We, even though some of these things could be considered um, mustahab or highly recommended things, the most important thing that you can do when it comes to the Quran is get your hands on it and read it however, wherever, and whenever you can and in the way that Allah has made easy for you at that time. And as Allah talks about in the Quran and read from it, like when he's talking about the night prayer, read from it what's easy for you. And don't ever trivialize how much you read, even if it's one ayah. Because the heart is when, it's, when we're sick in our heart and all of us have sicknesses. The heart is like, oh, you battling that. Take it through that medicine. And if it only can handle an ayah a day, let it handle an ayah a day. But you reach for the Quran in the way that Allah has made the most easy and accessible for you. And when you're just getting back into engaging with the Quran, it's not the time to worry about what's highly recommended. You know, you need to just get your hands on the Quran and read you know, I, there, I know there are a lot of difference of opinions about different things, about women menstruating and all that. Whatever the situation is, you get your hands on the Quran in the way that's easiest for you. If you have doubts in your mind and you think that you're not clean or whatever, then pick up a Quran that has some English in it or, or some tafsir in it or whatever. Do whatever, but never, ever leave the Quran. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. Every single day, engage with the Quran. Every single day, make your salah. No matter how worthless you feel, stay connected to Allah because you will die. You will die. And when you wake up in that grave, you are not coming back. This life is not about going to work and earning money, appeasing somebody's ego, showing how you some wonderful wife or husband, bragging to people about how many years you've been married, bragging about people how much you know, knowledge you have, telling people how much they owe you because you study. That's not what this life is about. This life is about preparing yourself that when you're buried beneath that ground, you can answer those three questions. And that you can enter Jannah. If you get up under that dirt and you can't answer who your Lord is based upon your pride in this world, you're not going to care about any of those things that you took pride in, including your Islamic studies, if you allow your Islamic studies to keep you away from Islam. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Um, and I, and it's some practical things, man. Um, sometimes, you know, you're going to be traveling, and if you're a person who works hard, you got a bunch of, a bunch of bills and stuff. You know, I have found... I have, I have, I have a Qur'an. I have Qur'an and audio with both the Arabic and the English and the language that I know that I listen to sometimes, I the Quran puts me to sleep. You know, the Quran puts me to sleep a lot of times. When I'm when I'm going through stuff, I will listen to that. You know what I'm saying? Just to just to and also part of it also is to te detox me because you know, we are also in a world, we have to acknowledge that we're in a world where there's so much stimuli that's taking us away. This actually, the ideas are taking us, us away from the concepts that Allah is teaching us in the Quran purposefully, you know, because shaitan is running it.
So he's doing it on purpose. And so remember that you have to actually take control, as I told you earlier, of the programming that you put in yourself. You know what I'm saying? So even, you know, obviously, read it. The best thing is to read the Quran. That is the best thing, right? You have no opportunity to do it. There There are resources where you can find where it can, where you can find the recitation and find the meaning, because it's very important that you're li- you're doing both. You know, you're doing both at the same time every day. You need to be reflecting, reading the Quran, and reflecting on the Quran. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so you can, so you can find things where you can listen to it. You know, and then if you have questions, then ask somebody who knows. That's what Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala says. But the basis is that you're taking ownership in your knowledge seeking. You're not putting it in the hands of other people. And guess what? When you read the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not, he doesn't say anything about he's going to ask you of what you knew or what the scholar said. He didn't say anything about he's going to ask you of what you knew about even what your, what your, um, what your cousin said or what, uh, what CNN said. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said he's going to ask you what you knew or what the Quran said. It's in Quran. So this is the one, the one source of information that's required of you for your hereafter. That you must yeah. increase it is the Quran. Yes. Yeah, and then um, and so I know um, it's a lot, you know, and I'll say this to follow up. I know uh, we're going on two hours, so I'm gonna let everybody go. And um, thank you for being patient with us. Please forgive us. Anything that we said is wrong is from ourselves um, or Shaytan. Anything good is only from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. And uh, we ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala to forgive us, to have mercy on us. Um, and to to forgive us of of our sins and uh, to continue to allow us to strive okay to be better than we were um, yesterday and any other uh, questions that are um, related <laughs> yeah. to the topic because I know we always have troublemakers who like to come on and um, you know they have nothing better to do because they're so disconnected from their own faith they have to come and bother other people Right. But for those people who have, um, you know, other questions, we'll be following up with the um, the podcast, uh, Label Deep, and you'll find that on uzauthor.com, Label Deep, or I think labeldeep.com. Yeah, either one. Also, and I'll be putting the link in there also, inshallah. So, uh, but uh, again, we'll, we'll be each week, inshallah, as far as we can to do a live, as far as we're able, be it in the last, we're able to, to follow up with the, um, our podcast labeled the prejudice bones in my body, where we're dealing with a lot of the emotional trauma from racism, bigotry, spiritual abuse, and just basically being alive in these last days, inshallah. Um, yeah. And, and so to add to, just to let you know, to add to that, um, the podcast is in regular podcast mediums, meaning it's in iTunes. It's in uh, a- a- Apple um, podcasts. It's in Google Play. It's in Stitcher for Android. And it, it's in ACAST. And if you have a podcast station that you listen to, let us know. And if it's not there, we'll put it there. You'll see the label. D. You can go to labeld.com and get the logo. Because I know a lot of people, when they hear it's a long, hour-long podcast. And you want to listen to it while you're in your car or whatever the case may be. And so we're putting it in those mediums so that you can... You can have those things. And even this, you know, we're going to try to put the discussion also in the podcast as well as an addendum so that you can, you know, if you if you don't have time to listen to the whole thing or you didn't have time to even listen to this today, you can go back when you're doing other stuff and listen to that. And so, again, if you have a podcast medium that you listen to regularly, let us know, um, you know, in Messenger or some kind of way or go to um, usyauthor.com slash label deep and um, 
you know, and then go to her contact page and, and put in that you want to want to do that. And then we'll try to make sure that it's available for you. It's something that we're going to continue to do for, you know, for the duration. We This is for um, specifically for this month. We're doing the Prejudice Bones in My Body. Umzakia has a book called Prejudice Bones in My Body that, you know, if you all want to get and learn a little bit more about the topic, then you can. Um, we're doing a live event on, in Baltimore at 630 on, um, that we hope to stream live if we can. At 6.30 on Saturday, February 24th, it is, um, where we're actually going to do a live version of what we have done on the podcast. And the podcast will continue on. And then after that, we will we will move on to a, a – well, after this month, we'll move on to another topic um, that is also a, a big topic in Islam, and it's how to deal with the, relation, with the relationship of kin. You know, because there's a lot of trauma um, with trying to keep your duty to parents and keep your duty to your kin – and even when your kin is abusive and that type of thing, because there's a, a narrative that's kind of given with that. So we're going to jump to that, inshallah, in the next month. So stay tuned. We're going to try to keep this consistent, you know, in um, And so stay tuned with us. Have anything, any last words? Yeah. So um, I, I just say we'll, we'll, inshallah, put the link and I put the link in the comments um, and how to stay in touch. Um, you'll find our, you know, uh, our website. You have khalilismail.com. For his, and, and you see his name on the screen and you just take that make it.com and you sign up for the newsletter use the author.com sign up for the newsletter and if you follow us on Facebook where we interact a lot as much as we Allah allows us on Facebook with our um, you know people on the page as, as much as possible so you can stay in touch with us like that and and on our page if there's something uh, you need to contact us for directly there's a contact on the page itself okay and um so no, I'll end with just say Subhanaka bihamdika la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilaik. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Um, inshallah, hopefully I will be interacting with you through the podcast and the weekly discussions as well as um, the live um, follow-up each each week, inshallah. So we, inshallah, we hope to keep this going. And um, so um, uh, keep us in your dua. We'll, we'll keep you in, in ours. Okay, assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.